0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit Ellerslie.com. Hi, this is Nathan. I'm so excited about today's Daily Thunder. And one of the reasons is because we're going back to the basic foundations of the Christian life. We want to talk about what does it mean to be saved by grace through faith. Now, if you're saying, well, I already know all that, well, there's actually some great profundity in this reality of what does it mean for us to be saved and not just to be saved, but by grace and this idea of through faith. Well, before we jump into the episode, can I encourage you to consider joining us this upcoming fall, September 5th, for our five week classic discipleship training. It's a wonderful opportunity to be discipled in God's word to grow in your faith, and to fall in love with Jesus afresh. The five-week program starts September 5th, goes through October 11th, and we would love to have you at the Ellerslie campus for the program. For more information, please visit ellerslie.com forward slash daily. Now, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, specifically looking at verse 8 and 9 as we talk about God's amazing grace and how we are saved by grace through faith. Well, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2. And again, we've been walking through uh, these first several verses in chapter 2. And I'm I'm excited. We're getting close to the end of another section. Woo! Man, we're just flying along uh, in a slow fly, I guess. (laughs) Uh, But my guess is we're going to probably be finishing up Uh, this section in the next week or two. Uh, But again, we're looking at verses 8 and 9 this morning in Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, just for the sake of having it refreshed in our mind and just for the focus, I want to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 down through verse 9. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can follow along. Uh, Paul writes this in Ephesians 2, verse 1, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of the world and according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among them we also once lived in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, "'Even while we were dead in sins, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. "'And he raised us up and seated us together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, "'so that in the coming ages he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. "'For by grace you have been saved through faith.'" And this is not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one should boast. Again, we've been walking and we've been reviewing this over and over. But again, in the first three verses, Paul is talking about your life before Jesus. And the fact that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And again, he breaks that down and says, let me explain what that means practically and, and how you've been living in this thing. But the end conclusion is, you were dead. Spiritually, just deader than a doornail pushing up daisies, food for worms, spiritually dead. And what did God do in his overwhelming love and his mercy and his kindness? Oh, verse 4, but God He really reached into your spiritual deadness and yanked you from spiritual death and brought you into spiritual life. That is amazing. And if that wasn't good enough, which it would have been, but if that wasn't good enough, Jesus then took you from spiritual life and brought you into the heavenly realms and seated you smack dab in the middle of Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And again, that is a position of relationship. It's a position of intimacy. And for Jesus, it's a position of authority, power, might, and dominion. And we keep saying this, but isn't it amazing that if I am in Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father, then everything that is going on in the life of Jesus now is to go on in my life. So as we're told in chapter 1, all things have come beneath his feet, that means all things come beneath my feet. That I can live in victory and triumph in this world. Why? Because I am in Jesus, Jesus is in me, and I am seated in him at the right hand of the Father, and all things come beneath his feet, which means, hey, sin has no authority in my life anymore as long as I'm in Jesus. Now, I can still give in to sin. I can still yield myself over to sin, but I don't have to. Why? Because I'm in Jesus. That is phenomenal. And all that is contained in this idea uh, in verse 4, this but God. Now, Paul begins to describe this overwhelming God who is working in our life. And we are told that this God is rich in mercy, which is a phenomenal thought. Not only is he rich in mercy, but he has this great love with which he loved us. Isn't that an exciting thought, that here is a God who is merciful, who is love, and he just cannot help but love us? That is phenomenal. I mean, if I was God and I had a whole bunch of people who had sinned, I would just flick them into the abyss. Burn, baby, burn. I mean, just pow, right? But our God is actually merciful. Our God is actually full of love and kindness. And our God is redemptive, meaning he is willing and just, he is aggressive in his pursuit for you, which is Amazing. Now, in verse 5, we're reminded that, hey, here we are, deader than a doornail in our sins, and Christ, or sorry, he made us alive with Christ. And we mentioned this a couple times ago, but there are these three phrases that have this prefix, with. That we have been made alive with Jesus, that we've been raised up, verse 6, with Jesus, and we've been seated together with Jesus, And I love that idea that this whole thing is revolved around this concept of with Jesus. That, hey, you don't have a life outside of Jesus. That your whole life, not just salvation, but all of life is with Jesus, which is an exciting thought. And Paul says at the end of verse 5, By grace you have been saved. Now, we looked at this last time in verse 7. Why is God doing all of this work? Why is God in this redemptive pressing in your life? Why is God going through all this stuff? Oh, so that, here's the whole purpose of this thing, that in the coming ages, and what we're talking about is, it's not just eternity stuff, it is, it is, it is the forever idea, but it's the forever and now idea. So what is God doing? That forever, but also right now, that God might show, which is the idea of proving, that God is going to be proving the surpassing riches of His grace. And again, I love the fact that Paul reaches in and grabs a superlative and says it's not just the abundance of his grace, but it is the superlative abundance of his grace. It is the surpassing abundance of God's grace. And again, I love superlatives. It's like those words like phenomenal, radical, tubular, groovy, bodacious, whatever era you were born in, right? Church, which is supposedly the new one. But <clears throat> that, that God is going to be proving this superlative abundance of his grace in his kindness toward us in Jesus. Now, that is a phenomenal thought to me. That for now and all eternity, God is going to be pointing pointing to us and saying, Hey, you want to you want to see my extravagant grace? You want to see my overwhelming kindness? You want to know what that looks like? Oh, look at these people. And you and I begin to be pictures, a demonstration, a declaration of God's superlative, abundant grace. And wouldn't it be amazing, not just for the eternities, but for right now, if when the world looked upon your life, what they would see is a demonstration of his grace working in your life. That somehow this world becomes dumbfounded by the reality that, wow, God is merciful and kind and full of loving kindness and and. Why? Because I see him, and I see his work of grace in your life. Now, why is God doing this? In verse 7, this whole idea of that show that he's going to be proving, the word there, again, don't get lost here, but it's in the middle voice, which means he is doing this for himself. Why, Why is God proving? Why is God demonstrating? Ah, He is showing himself his overwhelming grace. And what we were trying to get to in the last session is that this whole idea goes back to the fact that this is for God's own glory. That, hey, you don't get credit on all this thing. Hey, you don't get to say, "Woo, look how amazing I am. You don't get that privilege, right? That God and God alone gets the glory out of your redemption. In fact, look at our verses for this morning. Verses 8 and 9. This whole thing comes back again to this head that this is not of you. This is all for him. Let me read verse 8 and 9 again. So, this is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one should boast. Look at that again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one should boast. Uh, It's interesting that Paul repeats this phrase up in verse 5. It's the exact same phrase. For by grace you have been saved. And here he is again. For by grace you have been saved. But he begins to clarify, just so you're not confused, let me explain what I mean. For by grace you have been saved. That this grace by which you've been saved is through faith and is not of your own works. It is a gift. Because you have no right to boast in this. Hey, this is all him. This is all him. Uh, <clears throat> again, that word uh, in my translation that starts this whole verse, for, uh, it's the Greek word gar, it has this idea of because. Again, Paul is going back and going back into this earlier stuff that he's proving out his, his own grace and his marvelous realities, the richness of this thing. And then Paul says, because, why is this all taking place? Because by grace you have been saved. And this is, a lot of this is review for most of us here, but. Uh, we got to remember that when we're talking about grace, grace has a twofold reality. And we tend to diminish one, <laughs> right? We talk about God's amazing grace, and it is amazing. But it's not amazing just because it saves us. It does save us. But God's amazing grace is amazing because not only does it save us, but it also empowers us to live out the Christian life. Uh, it's, it is his work of the Holy Spirit in our, in our, in our, very, in our very lives. That when, when God's is, grace is being demonstrated in your life, it is his Holy Spirit that is energizing. It's, it's being effectual in your life. So yes, you are saved by his overwhelming grace, and praise the Lord for that. But once you're saved by grace, it's not like you go, oh, that was wonderful, thank you, grace, and I'm done, I can go to something else. No, you get to live by grace. Your whole life functions by grace. The whole essence of your life is grace. In fact, woo, you should be singing Amazing Grace every morning, noon and night. Why? Because this is a, a constant living by the indwelling life of Christ, which is what? Living by his grace. So yes, grace saves you. Praise the Lord for that. But once he saves you, he continues to bring about his work in your life. Well, how does he do that? Grace. How are you going to live out the Christian life? Grace. How are you going to survive today? grace hey how are you going to make it in a dark world grace how are you going to live triumphant over sin grace how are you not going to punch your siblings restraint no sorry grace <laughs> i mean grace is we live by grace folks that a, that a christian you, you you don't just live out the christian life by grit and determination that's not the christian life How do you live out the Christian life? You live the Christian life by his empowerment, by his resource, by his life, by his spirit. We call that grace. So again, grace saves you, praise the Lord, but grace empowers you to live out the life that you were called to live. So when you read scripture and you read fear not, how are you going to pull that one off? You can't on your own strength and your own ability and your own resource. Which means you're going to need his resource and his ability and his... And you can live without fear, but not because you have some grit and determination within you. It's because you have God's grace inside of you. Hey, when you read, hey, you can be triumphant over whatever addiction is is going on in your life. Well, you've never had triumph over that. You've never had the ability to get over that. How on earth are you not going to Keep giving in to your addiction. Take cold showers. Flick rubber bands. And hey, that's what culture is telling us to do. Hey, grit your teeth, pull this thing off, try hard. But hey, that doesn't solve the heart issue stuff. H- how are you going to live triumphant over your addiction? Grace. That he's going to supply what is necessary for you to live out the life that he is calling you to live. That's phenomenal. Amen. Make sure you guys are awake this morning. <clears throat> so get this. For by grace you have been saved. I love this idea of that have been saved. Oh, so phenomenal in Scripture. Have been saved. How we understand that that word, uh, the root word of that is sozo, the, the Greek word for salvation, sozo. Sozo. It has this idea of redemption. It has this idea of being saved. It has this idea of being reconciled to God. It has all that stuff in there. But it's amazing to me that in this passage, oh, the nerds are going to get excited. This word for, for salvation is a perfect passive word. And all the non-nerds just went to sleep. But the nerds, whew, they all stood up. I'm the only one standing up. All right. This word <laughs> this word for salvation, it's interesting. Uh, when we think salvation, we, uh, we often think of an, an event. The preacher was preaching, had an altar call. I went down the altar, bumped my head. Woo, I got saved. That's not this word. Now, if it was in the imperfect tense, it has this idea of an event. But this is not an event. Think, think this through. This word is in the perfect tense, which means, gotta think this thing, gotta think this thing through. The perfect tense has this idea. It it was this thing that happened in the past. This action, this verb happened in the past, which makes sense to you, right? Because hey, it's not that I I come to Jesus and I say, Jesus, could you save me today? And he goes, oh, today's the day, and he does the work of salvation. He's already done the work of salvation. That was done 2,000 years ago on the cross. I'm applying it to today. Is that making any sense? I fall flat on my face. God, please forgive me. It's not that he needs to go to the cross. He, he takes what was done in this past event, this occurrence, and he applies it to my life today. Is that making sense? The perfect tense then has this idea, yes, it happened sometime in the past, but it has produced, get this, this event, this thing in the past has produced a state or a result that continues and exists into the present. Did you get that? So this is not an event. It is an event, but it's not an event. This wasn't like, well, for my fifth birthday, I got a pony. I didn't, just for clarity's <laughs> sake. Right, I got a toy truck. Right, that was an event in the past and has no application for my life today. Right, it's not one of those kind of things. This idea is, it happened in the past. It did. It was a past event. 2,000 years ago, Jesus did the work of salvation on the cross. But that, in the past, is being brought in and it affects my current reality. This man goes off to war. And two years ago, it was an event. Two years ago, it shouldn't have happened. Two years ago, he got shot. Two years ago, they had to amputate his leg. It was something that happened in the past, but you recognize that that occurrence that has happened in the past has been dragged in and it is affecting that man's current reality. That, hey, if you were amputated two years ago, it's not like, well, I I went through that and that was wonderful and now I'm good to go. No, that that's happened in the past is affecting your present It will always affect your present. Is that making sense? That's this kind of idea. That God has saved you. Woo! By grace you have been saved. It was something that has happened in the past, praise the Lord, but it is presently affecting your life. It is presently influencing how you live. It is presently changing. Just like, hey, if if you got shot two years ago and, and we had to amputate, I mean, that was a horrible thing. Thank you for the sacrifice. But you're still having to deal with that in the reality right this moment. Isn't it an amazing thought that though salvation took place 2,000 years ago, it is affecting my present reality? And it's in the passive tense. not the passive test, it's in the passive voice, which means I was not the one responsible for this action. I'm the one who received the action. I'm the one being saved. I don't, I'm don't. i not the one saving. So get, get what Paul's saying here. He says, for by God's grace, you have been saved. It was his grace that had this event that is now being brought into your reality, and it's changing everything for you. And it is really being pressed in upon you, and it is changing you, and you cannot be the same because by grace you have been saved. Which tells you that when this actually happens in your life, you're not the same person anymore. In fact, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that when this takes place, there is such a radical change that happens in your life, that the only way we have to describe it is, you are a brand new something. Paul calls it a creature, a creation. That yeah, you look the same, you may smell the same, but you are not the same. That there's been this radical shift that has happened and what has taken place in the past because of his, re- his overwhelming grace and salvific work has been brought in and has so radically changed who you are. It's pressing itself upon you that you cannot remain the same as you once were. It's going to change your thinking. It's going to change your attitude. It's going to change your talking. It's going to change your motives. It's going cha- to change you. Why? For by grace you have been saved. Now, when you come to Scripture, I love this idea of salvation. When you come to Scripture, do you realize that Scripture, yes, it was a past thing. But it's not just a past thing. It's a present thing. But it's not just a present thing. It's a future thing. Some of you look confused. <clears throat> Let me give you some verses. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. In 2 Timothy 1, 9, and you can just listen to this. But 2 Timothy 1.9, Paul writes, God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, hear that, hear that tone again, not because of what you've done, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. God who saved us and called us with a holy calling. That is past tense stuff. That God has saved us with and called us with the holy calling. Not because of anything you've done. He supplied everything. He did all the work. He's accomplished this thing. You had no part in it whatsoever, but he did this in the past. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul writes, uh, 1 Corinthians 1:18, 1, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those, get this. Who are being saved, it is the power of God. So the word of the cross, think about this, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are dying. Hey, to those who are spiritually perishing, those who live according to the the mindset of the world, the cross is stupid, is what Paul is saying. But to those of us who are currently in this moment, present tense, being saved, And Paul uses the present tense word. And in the Greek, the present is the ever-present, meaning it's present, but whenever it's present, it's present. So hey, you are currently being saved. How? By the power of God, by his grace. And then if you look at Romans chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, he gives you a future idea of salvation. So Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 9 and 10, "...since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood," How much more, get this, shall we be saved? Speaking about the future. How much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God? For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. How much more, now that we were, we've been reconciled, shall we be future saved by his life? So Paul, I thought salvation was a thing that happened 2,000 years ago. Paul says, yes, but we're currently being saved. yes. And you're saying that one day in the future we will be saved? Yes! Are you getting this? That when we talk about salvation, a lot of times, you know, we're talking about that big-ass salvation stuff, right? That there's this moment in my life where I accept Christ, and he becomes the essence of my life, and he changes, and he forgives, and he restores, and he heals, and he, he takes all the junk, and he actually gets rid of my sin, and we say, woo, I have been saved but that's not a one-time deal, folks. I mean, yeah, that's a one-time deal. You've entered into the kingdom of his beloved son, right? He He has transferred you from the domain of darkness. He's brought you into the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians chapter 1. But you recognize that while we live on this earth, in your present state, you constantly need to be saved. So what is he doing? Every day he is bringing about salvation in your life, which is the smallest salvation stuff. That today you're going to face temptations and trials and circumstances and people and roommates and, you know, alumni or whoever you're going to have to deal with. And, and you're going to have to be saved. Well, how are you going to be saved then? It's the same grace. It's the same empowerment. Now, it's not the big-ass salvation stuff. It's not, you know, I was, I was living in sin and death and darkness and God brought me into life. You are in life, but while you're in life, you need a constant salvation in your life. Is that making sense? And isn't it exciting to think that there's going to be coming a day when God is going to do a final work of salvation, and we are going to be... Which is heaven stuff, eternity stuff. So hey, salvation, biblically, is it past, present or future? Yes. And by grace you have been saved. How are you being saved? By grace. How are we going to be saved? By grace. Now Paul says in our verse, uh, Ephesians 2 verse 8, For by grace you have been saved. It's this past occurrence, this past event, that has been brought into our present day, and it's affecting and changing who you are at this very moment. How did that take place? Through faith. Through faith. I don't, I don't know how to work this through with you where it makes sense. Because the moment we start talking about the fact that you are participating in this thing, you have faith. It makes it sound like you've done something. Oh, so I participated in my salvation. Yes. You had faith. But no, you did nothing. So it's, it's one of those concepts like how do you process that through because, hey, this is not of your own work. This is not of your own doing. You had no responsibility ability in this. God supplied everything. He's done everything. And yet you responded to him. Oh, so I did something. No, you responded. Yeah, but responding is doing something. No, you can't even respond correctly. You need Jesus to respond correctly. He's the one who, who has awakened you. He's the one who presented this gift of salvation before you. He's the one that stirred your heart to say, oh, don't you want this? And you says, yes, I want that. And you grabbed a hold of it, but you had no part in this thing. Now you're participating through faith. Oh, so I have a part. No. See the problem? There is a dilemma <laughs> you know, in how we talk about this. It's interesting when you think about faith, and I don't know what you think about faith. The best definition of faith I've ever come across It's going to sound a little confusing, and I'll explain it. But the best definition of faith I've come across is invoking the activity of a second party. Uh, I'm the first party, and I look into my pockets, and I, I can't do it. So what do I do? I turn my gaze to someone who can, and I invoke his movement, his activity in my life. God, I can't. You can. So could you come and do the very thing that I can't do? And it's in faith. I lean upon his strength. I press myself upon him. And I allow him to do that in my life that I can't do. I can't bring about salvation. So what do I do? I turn. I can't do it. I turn to him and say, Jesus, I need this. I'm desperate for you. You're going to have to come and do this. And what does he do? He, by his grace, comes and brings about salvation. Now, I'm, I'm involved in this thing. I'm experiencing this salvation. Hey, I'm the one who turns to him and says, yes! But he's the one who caused me to even want to turn to him to say yes. So you could say, well, yeah, so faith is an action. Yes, but no. Faith is the response of a Christian that says, I can't, but you can. So you've got to come in and do it. He's the one doing all the work. And I've tried to come up with an illustration. And every illustration I've been thinking of, just it falls short. It's like I had the thought of like, well, maybe it's like a, um, a water slide. It's summertime. You decide to go to the water park. So you get to the top of one of those cliffs. You, know? <laughs> you go up 200 feet, and you're looking down. It's like this. And what do you do? You, you get on the water slide, and you just let go. And you get to participate and experience and feel the horrid of that Well, what work do you have in the water slide? None. You're just hanging on and screaming. But the problem with that illustration is you've got to walk up the water slide. And that's not this. Well, maybe it's like the lazy river. You know, you just plop yourself on an inner tube and you just kind of float around in the circle, you know? Well, so I put myself on the inner tube. No. Because he supplied the inner tube. He somehow put you on the inner tube. You just decided... That you wanted to be on the inner tube. But even how do you just so again, I don't know what kind of language you want to use or what kind of picture you can paint for all this thing, but you gotta recognize that faith, yes, it's a response of the soul. In fact, as a Christian, we are to live by faith. That how do we function? By faith. We don't turn within ourselves and say, oh, I can pull this off. We don't turn within ourselves and go, oh, I have the intellect. We don't turn within ourselves and be like, oh, God, you can sit this one out. I, hey, I can do this for you. See, that's not how a Christian lives. How does a Christian live? A Christian lives by faith. That in everything, in every, every moment of my life, my attitude should be, God, I need you. So I'm turning to you saying, hey, could you supply? Could you give me the resource? Could you give me the ability? Could you give me the insight? Now, that's hard to explain, too, because technically he has deposited that within you. He lives inside of you by his Spirit. So do I have to wait for an answer, or do I just function in life? Yes. But as I'm functioning in life, my attitude needs to be dependent upon him in faith. Just like how often does a branch think about abiding in the vine? It probably should think about it once in a while, don't you think? But yet, that's the normal life of a vine. How often does a fish go, oh, I need to live in water. Yeah, I breathe water. I need to live in the water. I'm sure it crosses a fish's mind once, if they could think. But that's just normal living for a fish. You realize that's true about us in faith. That it's not, a, it's not an action where it's like... Uh, This old lady falls down. Oh, Lord, do I go and help her? Huh? Oh, yes. Okay, I'll go. It's not that. Why? Because you have the Spirit of God within you. So function as a Christian. And yet, as I'm functioning as a Christian, I need to have this constant attitude of I'm living by faith, which means I'm not going to my own pockets. I'm not going to my own resource. I'm not going to my own ability. I'm in this attitude of Jesus. I can't. You can. I need you. I love what Ian Thomas says. He said, "You can't. God never said you could. He can. And he always said that he would. Isn't that awesome? I like that statement. that, that I am to live dependent, I am to live surrendered. I am to live abiding in His life. And if I am in Him and He's in me, then just yes, there's a part of you that's just just function. But as you function, because you have him inside of you, and he's going to be directing you, at the same point, you've got to keep in your mind that this is not you trying to do something for him. This is, hey, would you be open to allow him to do something in and through you, and you, by faith, are living. Is that making any sense? That you're constantly relying on the resource, the ability of the second party. Because, hey, I can't live in victory over sin. Hey, I can't live without fear. I can't live... Hey, when I I read the Bible, I can't live this thing out without him. How am I going to do it? By grace. Which means I've got to live by faith. Because by grace are you saved through faith. That if I want the effectual working of grace in my life, then I need to receive his grace in my life. Hey, I have a temptation today. (gasps) Oh no, what am I going to do? I'll battle it on my own. Don't do that. I need his grace. Well, how are you going to have his grace for this moment? Recognize that if you fought this battle on your own, you're not going to make it. So why don't you turn to him and say, God, I need you in this moment. So you're going to have to supply that that which I need. Wouldn't it be interesting if you live like that all the time? Romans 1.17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. For as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Get this. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So isn't it interesting that the way that we are to function as a Christian is that we are to be consistently resourced by the grace of God in our life. Well, how is that going to take place when you live by faith? But faith is not an action. It's not a thing that you do. It's not an event. I did faith today. Right? The, the word faith actually has this idea of believing, has this idea of trusting. How are you to live? You are called a believer, which means you get to believe. You get to believe that he is sufficient. You get to believe that his grace is enough. You get to believe that you can have victory over sin. You get to believe that I'm going to trust him in this moment. That, hey, I'm, I'm experiencing what potentially could cause fear. So I'm going to trust him that he is sufficient where I don't have to deal with the fear. The, the situation's still there, but I don't have to live in it. I don't have to live with the fear. that makes any sense? That as a Christian, I live by faith, which means I believe, I trust, which is an action. I get that. But it's more of a lifestyle. It's breathing water kind of stuff for a fish than it is a, an event. It's not an action in that sense. How do we know that? Because Paul is really specific in this thing. Look at verse 8 again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Speaking of the salvation. You did not bring salvation about. Hey, this was not within you. In fact, that word, not of yourself, actually is the idea of it's not coming from within you. When you you look at it in the Greek. it's It's that Greek word ek. It's the word from or out of. That the salvation did not come out of you. Hey, you are not the one who did it. You're not the one who produced it. Hey, you're not the one who pulled this thing off. Hey, you you just received it. So hey, this is not coming out of you. It is a gift of God. This thing is a gift, which means it must be received. You don't have to receive it, but if you're going to get it, it has to be received. You can't earn it. There's nothing you need to do to merit it. It's merely a receiving thing. And then he clarifies that again in verse 9. He says, not of works. Hey this, is, hey, this is not a work. You receiving salvation by faith is not a work. Faith is not a work. Are you getting this? That we live by faith, but faith is not a work. Faith is a life thing. Faith is a normal functioning. Faith. I'm just a constant believer. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to articulate that to get that across to you. So yes, you do faith, but you do not do faith. You're to live by faith, but you cannot pull off faith on your own. Hey, you're supposed to do faith, but faith isn't a doing thing. I know, I just muddied that whole thing. Right? This isn't so much a doing thing as it is a being thing. That it's a lifestyle thing. That I don't, trees don't do fruit, they bear fruit. You don't do faith. You bear faith. You, you live faith. You, it's, it's a lifestyle thing. need better language. But recognize that, hey, by grace you have been saved. Through faith. You're, you're, hey, you're participating. Hey, you're floating down the lazy river, but you did not supply the inner tube. You didn't, you didn't even put yourself on the inner tube. You just found yourself on the inner tube. But hey, you are participating. You are experiencing this salvation. You are experiencing his grace. And how do we live and function? Oh, by faith. I'm constantly turning to him, saying, God, I can't, but you can. So will you do what is necessary in my life? I'm going to believe and put my trust in you, which is what faith is. And Paul says, recognize, hey, this is not of you. Your salvation was not of your own work. Hey, you did not pull this thing off. Hey, you could not accomplish this thing. And why does he clarify that? He says at the end of verse 9, so that no one can boast. Do you know why salvation is not out of you? Do you know why that you cannot bring about salvation? Number one, you can't. <laughs> it's impossible. Only God can. But Paul says it's so that you have no option to boast. That you cannot look at what God has done in your life and go, "Woo! aren't I special? So, you cannot look at the salvation thing in your life and go, woo, isn't he lucky? So, you cannot look at your life and go, oh, he needed me. So, you cannot look at your life and go, well, I, I think I'm really worth something. No, you have no part in this thing. And there is no option in your life to boast and triumph and, and be proud. Or, or, In fact, it's interesting the word there for boasting, uh, it, let me give you some definitions it's to show off verbally not that a great way of saying boasting? It's when you try to show off verbally. You know, you, you, you kind of spin the language in a way that makes you look really good. You can't do that with salvation. It's to put pride in oneself. Or it's to mention something in order to boast. And of course, we are so good at this as a culture. Oh, we love doing this. In fact, we've gotten so good at this that we don't even recognize we do this. Right? You get together. Anytime you get together with a group of people, especially if you haven't seen them in a while, it's like, hey, what have you been doing? And you have the one-up game, right? It's like with vacations. It's like, well, yeah, I stayed at home and did yard work. Really? That was your vacation? Well, we went over to Nevada. And someone goes, Nevada? It's a desert. We went to California. And someone's like, California? We were in Florida. Someone's like, Florida? We went down to the Bahamas. Bahamas? Bahamas? We were over in like, you know, wherever, right? And, and you have this like one-up thing. And, and of course, you know, we're spiritual, so we, we, we cloak it better than that. You know, but you know, people are saying something about us and we're like, yes, did you know that so-and-so spoke to me and did such, you know, like we, we love to show off verbally. We love just to mention things just in passing. Why? Because it's actually boastful. Do you realize that your salvation, you can't do that? That there's no option in your salvation for you to go, "woo." Why? Because he gets all the glory for this. That you had no part in it. What did you do? I believed. Oh, good job. But there's nothing in that. Does that make any sense? There's no work in that. God did all the work. He did, he, he did everything. He gets all the glory. In fact, that's what you see in verse 7. That in the coming ages, he's going to be proving and demonstrating his abundant, superlative grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That he is glorifying himself in the salvific work thing. That, that he is showcasing himself and his goodness and his grace and his love and his mercy in your life. What part do you have in that? I received it. Yeah, and you need to receive it. But you had no part in this thing. So he gets all the glory. In fact, the base word for that word boasting in the Greek has this undercurrent of glory that, hey, there is no glory for you in this. Hey, that that there is no uh, boasting. There is no privilege. There is no, you get to experience all the goodness of it, you get to experience the whole blessing of it. But you get no glory out of it. Hey, you get no boasting out of this thing. If anything, you experience the grace and the mercy and the salvific work of God in your life, and it should turn you to keep giving Him the glory, and him the praise, and him the blessing. I love what Romans 11:36 says: "For by him and through him and to him are all things." To him be glory forever. Amen. I think that's become my favorite verse in the Bible. If you want to summarize the gospel, what's the gospel? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. What's the church supposed to be about? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. What is marriage supposed to be? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. Hey, what is your life supposed to be? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. How do, you, how do you summarize the entirety of Scripture? From him, through him, to him, for his glory. Are you getting this? And I get to participate. I get to experience the wonder of his salvation. I get to experience his love and his mercy and his kindness and his goodness and his grace. But it's, it, even though it's for my benefit, I can't boast in this thing. I did not deserve it. I was shaking my fist in his face in rebellion. And yet while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me that I get all the goodness out of this, but I can't boast in it because I can't earn this. I did nothing except believed in him. I just said, yes, I turned my gaze to him and he did all the work of my life. And do you know what my salvation is? My salvation was from him and it is through him and it is to him. And he gets all the glory. Wouldn't it be amazing in this generation, in this day and age, as culture gets darker and darker and darker, Wouldn't it be amazing if the world saw not you, but saw him in your salvation? That that as you're walking around town, you're like, woo, I am saved, I'm a Christian. Wouldn't it be neat if you couldn't boast in that? That, hey, if you're going to wear a Christian t shirt that says, I'm a Christian, it's not because you're trying to show off that you're a Christian. Which, by the way, we shouldn't have to show off that we're a Christian, it should be plainly obvious. But wouldn't it be amazing if you didn't have to show this thing off? Wouldn't it just be amazing if people looked at you and just said, wow, I see God's working in your life. And if someone says, hey, what are you you doing? You could say, oh, it's all him. Now, for clarity's sake, there are good works that you're called to do, which we're going to talk about next week. Because if you look at verse 10, hey, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So, hey, you were created for good works. So this is not be passive. Don't do anything. There's no working in your life. Stop doing things. That's, that's not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is you were made for good works, but the good works do not produce your salvation. The salvation produces the good works, which again we'll talk about next week. But realize that God has saved you. How did he save you? He brought you out of darkness. He brought you out of the domain of death, and he transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son. But that was not of your work. He did everything. All you did was received it. That is this past action that is now to be pressed in upon your present reality and it should change everything in your life. Have you fully experienced that? I I know who I'm talking to, so I'm presuming (laughs) that you have, that you have been saved. But maybe a better question for us in this room is are we currently being saved? Do we have that future hope of being saved? And what would it look like, again, in this generation for the world not to see us, not for us to puff ourselves up as Christians, as if we're something. What if we puffed up Jesus and our whole lives was a declaration of, wow, from him, through him, to him, for his glory? And what if everything that came out of our lips was from him, through him, to him, for his glory? And what if our thought life was from him, through him, to him, for his glory? And what if our interactions with the world was from him, through him, to him for his glory? And what if as we had this aggressive pursuit of the culture because they desperately need Jesus? Why? Because from him, through him, to him. Well, what if we gathered as a body of believers and it was all from him, through him, to him? And we stopped the dumb bickering about carpet color and music choices. I want hymns. I want psalms. I want blue carpet. I want red carpet. What if it wasn't about that stuff? What if it's just about Jesus? I mean, could the body of Christ genuinely be from Him, through Him, to Him? By the way, if someone lived from Him, through Him, to Him for His glory, do you know what we have to call those people? Believers. Change the word on you. <laughs> We're the ones who live by faith. We're Christians. Let's pray, Lord. <clears throat> Lord, this truly is for Your glory. That our lives are not for us it's for you that these momentary lives that we have is not for our pleasure it's not for our prestige it's not for our popularity it's not for applause it's not for puffing ourselves up it's for you and so lord i just want to freshly consecrate myself and just say have at it whatever it is that you want to do in and through my life however you want my life to look Hey, if there's somewhere you want me to go, if there's something you want me to be doing, if there's someone, Lord, I I am all in. Because my life is not my own. I am bought with a price. So therefore, I want to glorify you with my body. That whether I eat or whether I drink, everything I do gives you glory. And Lord, thank you for your salvation. Lord, I recognize that there's nothing I could have done, there's nothing I can do that could ever earn your salvation that it truly is a gift. And Lord, what would it look like if I just constantly lived in your salvation? That I began to recognize that the reality is is that I need the salvation of you every moment of my life. Which means I need your grace. Which means I need to live by faith. Lord, don't let me turn within myself. Don't don't let me turn within my own thinking. Don't let me turn within my own ability. Don't let me turn within my own resource. Lord, I want to live by the empowerment, the indwelling life of Christ within me. And yes, Lord, you've given me a mind. And yes, you've given me talent. And sure, God, you can use all that. I I know that. But but Lord, even as I'm functioning as, as as a human, as a Christian, Lord, I pray that I would not just be trying to do this outside of you, but like a fish that just constantly lives in water and just cannot help itself. I want to live by faith in you. I want to breathe this in. I want to live in this reality. Not do something called faith, but live a life of belief and trust in you. That I rest my full weight upon your resource, upon your empowerment, upon your life. So Lord, we just want to glorify you this morning. Lord, we cannot take any credit for what you've done in our lives. So, Lord, somehow could you allow us to take what you've deposited within us and how you've changed us and transformed us and somehow turn that back towards you in worship and adoration and praise. For you alone are worthy of the glory, the majesty, the honor, the fame, the renown. For this is truly from you, through you, and to you for your glory. Lord, thank you for working in our lives. Thank you that it's not about us and what we can pull off and what we've accomplished. This truly is all about you. love you, Jesus. We just give you the praise and the glory in your precious name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or a week. Entire season of gospel centered spiritual training. Learn more at Ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.